Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. continued to rage upon them and like Luke says all hope that they would be saved was finally given up but beloved even in our lives today we go through storms we go through situations in life everything seems to be falling apart we have no idea what the next thing is going to bring but you need to understand in the same way that God was with Paul God's hand was still upon him and beloved God's hand is still upon you Christians have a hope for every seemingly bad situation that they go through. With the Almighty God's hands at work for good in your life, what do you have to fear? Today, Pastor David takes you to Acts to encourage you with Paul's example. Despite persecution, stoning, shipwrecks, and trials, he's made it clear that God's hand was on him and working in amazing ways for him. God never changes, and what he did for Paul, he can still do for you now. If you give up control and just let him, and here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 27 as he begins his message, God's hand upon him. Throughout the book of Acts, ever since we met uh, this guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus, who later became the Apostle Paul, we've seen God's hand upon him. We've seen God's hand upon him in times of threats, in times of actual attacks upon his physical life. God's hand was upon him. There were times of beatings, there were times of imprisonments, in, in chains and in shackles, and yet God's hand was upon him. If you've read through the book of Acts recently, you remember that in the city of Lystra, first because they had healed a man, the people there began claiming Paul and Barnabas as gods. They began ready to worship them. They were ready to make sacrifices to them until their hearts were turned by the Jews that came in. And then they were ready to stone them. As a matter of fact, they took Paul outside the city and they stoned him and they left him for dead. Again, quite the first year a god and next year a demon, we're going to stone you. So uh, Paul, we've seen just recently here in the study of Acts, when he came back to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey, he submitted to the leadership of the church there in Jerusalem. He went through a purification ceremony there in the temple. While he was in the temple, Jews from Asia saw him, thought that he had brought a Gentile into the temple. And remember, a riot took place at that point in time. They began to beat on him at that point in time right there on the temple mount. Then the Romans came in, they grabbed him, arrested him. In essence, it ends up being kind of a protective custody, but they still arrested him and they were ready to beat him also. But once again, we see God's hand 
upon him. Now, you might pause and wonder, how could a man go through such pain, such sorrow or suffering, uh, times of fear, even as we've looked in the books of Acts, and still declare that God's hand was upon him? Man, if God's hand's upon me, uh, what would happen if God's hand wasn't there, you know? The simple answer really is that the call of God in an individual's life will nearly always bring him or her through a refiner's fire. Burning off stuff that is, again, distracting or in front of their ability to fully and completely worship the Lord, or that fire, that trial comes as a testimony of the greatness of God. God's desire, guys, is, again, for the purity of our hearts, for the completeness of our worship, and that means even if our physical bodies suffer in some way. God is more concerned about our spiritual relationship with him than he is concerned about our physical body. That's a hard pill to swallow because all we are right now is we're all about our physical bodies, aren't we? I mean, every one of you spent time in front of a mirror this morning, didn't you? And believe me, for the rest of us, we're glad you did. But how much time did you spend before the Lord? We know that if an individual is holy, trusting in Jesus, desiring to serve him with their whole being, guys, we can be assured whatever else takes place, God's hand is upon you. For the apostle Paul, the Lord had told him even while he was under custody there in Jerusalem, that he was going to be able to proclaim his name in Rome and to Caesar himself. The only thing is, is the Lord just didn't tell him how he was going to get to Rome. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Paul is, again, in custody there at the Roman garrison in Caesarea at this point in time. It had just been determined as he stood before King Agrippa as he gave his testimony and why he was, in essence, mobbed in Jerusalem, taken into custody by the centurion there in Jerusalem, and now he finds himself in Caesarea. He tells all that to King Agrippa, and then King Agrippa speaks that this man, he might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And so to Caesar, he's going to go. And that brings us to Acts chapter 27, as we've been going through the book of Acts, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're now in Acts chapter 27. I invite you to turn there. And yet, even here in this journey that we're going to look at, we're going to see that God's hand will continue to be upon the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse 1. And when it was decided that we, uh, that we here is Luke, Uh, Luke now enters the picture, he hadn't been in the picture since about chapter 21, that personal pronoun changes from we to they while Luke is not there, and then once Luke rejoins the party, it becomes we again. When it was decided that we shall sail to Italy, the Romans delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one Julius, a centurion of the Augustine regiment. And so entering a ship of the Atramitium, we put to sea, meaning to sail the coast of Asia. Aristarchus of Macedonian Thessalonica was with us, another brother who had been with Paul in his earlier missionary journeys. We find him back in Acts 19 and Acts 20. Well, these, of course, they weren't the only ones that were on the ship. There were other prisoners that we're going to look at. We'll see a little bit later in the passage. But they were all put under the care of this Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So verse 3. 
The next day, we had landed in Sidon, just north up the coast from Caesarea. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. And when we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, the city of Lycia. Now, that's in southern, uh, what we know now as Turkey, the southern shoreline on the Mediterranean. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. So again, so far, this Mediterranean cruise that Paul is on has been relatively smooth, no real problems yet at this point. And when they had landed in Sidon, uh, Julius gave him freedom to get off the ship, go into the city, meet with some of the friends, some of the brothers and sisters in Christ there. Well, from Sidon, they sailed toward the island of Cyprus. Already, there was now some trouble starting to brew. The weather, the winds were starting to change. From there, they made their way to that larger port city, as I said, Myra, there in Lycia, which is the southern portion of Turkey. At this point, Paul and the others, they were transferred to another larger sailing ship for that journey to Rome. We're in verse 7. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmone. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lacia. Uh, so it's actually kind of late in the sailing season at this point in time. So they were finding it pretty difficult to navigate the winds. They ended up staying in a little port city uh, on the island of Crete called Fair Havens, waiting to see if the winds would change before they proceeded. Verse 9, now when much time had been spent there in Fair Haven, much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. So rather Paul was speaking in the spirit or he just saw all these storms rising and him being not a sailor, not wanting to be on the sea during rough times, he makes this statement. The fact is the words that he shared there are very close to the truth of what eventually happened on this voyage. But the experience of the helmsman and the owner of the ship, they trumped over this uh, landlubber, this Paul guy, so they pressed on. The sailors there, they realized that the harbor there at Fair Haven, though it's useful during calm seas, it's not a very good place to be when a major storm hits. So in verse 12, because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix. By the time they got to Phoenix, which is a harbor there in Crete, opening toward the southwest and the northwest, winter there. That's what they were hoping to do. Verse 13, when the winds blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close to Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called a Eurycliden. Now, the time was past at this point for changing their minds. They had already set sail. 
They tried to stay close to the island of Crete. They had actually gone to the south side of the island of Crete. Uh, they had tried sticking close to the shoreline, but the winds weren't allowing them. The calmness of that soft blowing winds, they pretty quickly changed. Because of the mountains there in Crete, the wind coming through those mountains, coming offshore, pushing them actually further away from Crete. As a matter of fact, uh, because of the height of the mountains of Crete, these sailors weren't able to see the storms that were actually brewing on the other side of Crete, this Euryclidon, this big storm that was coming. They looked on weather.com on their smartphones, but uh, they weren't getting good reception, so they just continued on. They're now at this point in time, they're in the path of a pretty powerful powerful storm. This Euroclidon, it's a powerful north by northeast wind that's coming. Think of it similar to uh, in New England, we have the nor'easters. That's what's going on here. A violent storm, it could pack the power literally of a typhoon at this point in time, and it can last for days. Then these guys are now heading right into this thing. It was coming at them in such a direction that it continued to push them away from the Isle of Crete and on into the open sea. Verse 15, so when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive and running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship and fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. Now you need to understand that on these ancient ships, the sail that they had was a square sail, and it lacked the ability that modern sailing vessels have today of actually heading straight into the wind simply by zigzagging and moving still in toward the wind. They didn't have that ability. For them, it was impossible to sail into the storm, so the storm was pushing them further out to sea. This island of Clauda or Cauda already was about 20 miles south and west of where they actually wanted to go. It didn't have any harbors, but on the south end of that island, there was a slight block from the worst of the storms, uh, a little block from the wind and the power. While they were semi-protected on that island, they determined that they were going to secure the skiff or the dinghy or the lifeboat. During this time era, on the sailing ships that went out into the ocean, they would carry these smaller boats behind them, towing them behind them, not on the ship itself, but towing it behind them. So except for times of severe weather, and during severe weather, then they would bring those boats then up onto the ship. Very difficult process at this point, considering the size of the skiff and the fact that they'd already been in the storm, waves coming, probably a lot of water already in the skiff. And that's why Luke's comment, we secured the skiff with difficulty. Now the storm was sending them in directions they couldn't control, and there was a great danger, literally, of losing the ship itself out in the high seas. Next, Luke tells us they used cables to undergird the ship. And again, a common practice during that day with the wooden ships, they would take these cables, drop them over the bow, let them flow under the ship, bring them around, drop it again, bring them around, literally wrapping the ship multiple times and then tightening those cables or those ropes to hold all the planks underneath the water together as the waves would beat upon them as the winds came upon them. Again, it's called frapping. These cables, again, used to be able to tighten the ship together 
together. Recognizing the possibility that as they're being driven actually southward at this point, they feared that the ship might run into, as Luke tells us, the Sirtis Sands. Now these were underwater sand dunes that were actually on the northern coast of Africa right there. Now these sand dunes, because of the ocean currents, because of storms, they would move quite often. They couldn't put them on the charts. They knew about the area that they were, but they were not well charted. So again, seamen avoided that area as best they could. These dunes would be just below water level. You're sailing along, perhaps at a good clip. Suddenly the bow of the ship hits these dunes. You're dug into the dunes. If there's a storm around, it's going to beat the back end of the ship to pieces and totally destroy the ship. So again, they weren't anything to uh, be trifled with. So they would have struck or dropped down that mainsail and allowed for the smaller sails then to assist them to try and get westward as best as possible and avoid going any further south. And because the storm continued to be so severe, Luke tells us that the next day they continued to lighten the ship, throwing these non-necessities overboard. Look at verse 19. He says, on the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. This was a desperate situation that they were in. As a matter of fact, it was just about as bad a situation as these sailors could imagine. You've got experienced sailors at this point in time. They're trained to be able to navigate the open ocean by the sun or by the moon or by the stars. And now with this storm, they had neither sun nor moon nor stars. They had no idea where they were at. The storm continued to rage upon them. And like Luke says, all hope that they would be saved was finally given up. But beloved, even Even in our lives today, we go through storms, we go through situations in life. Everything seems to be falling apart. We have no idea what the next thing is going to bring. But you need to understand in the same way that God was with Paul, God's hand was still upon him. And beloved, God's hand is still upon you. And unfortunately, too often in our Western culture, we look at the fact, well, if God's hand is upon me, wouldn't that mean that everything is going good and everything is going well? No, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, all you have to do is read your Bible and you find that is totally untrue. That's a mindset of our Western easy culture. We want comfort, we want ease. Therefore, if God really loves us, he'll give us comfort and ease. This Jewish prisoner, this guy that's not a sailor, the one that thought he could tell them how to sail the ship earlier? Well, now he stands up again. Look at verse 21. After a long absence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me. <laughs> That's one of the greatest I told you so's, you know, that you could ever see. Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Paul, yeah, you you should have listened to me, but instead of basking in, hey, I had the correct analysis back there. All you seamen had no clue what was going on. Paul, now, again, he speaks out literally to give them some assurance and some encouragement. Look at verse 22. He says, and now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Paul giving strong testimony of the Lord right here. 
Verse 24 saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, Paul says, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. We will lose the ship, but no one will die. When we share the truth of the Lord, whether it be family or friends or people that we meet, acquaintances, whatever it might be, when we share the truth of the Lord, the truth of the Lord needs to be given in such a way that sometimes it's a conflict in their life. There's troubling things there. But Paul didn't give just the troubling. He also gave hope. He gave hope even as he shared with these men. If you're on the ship, particularly if you're an experienced sailor, at this point, you really want to believe this guy. Because everything that you see, this is not going very well. And now he comes in with an encouraging word. You want to believe him. You may have doubted before, but this is the only word of encouragement that you see at this point in time. And he tells them that an angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I serve spoke to him that night and gave Paul that word of encouragement. And it seems as though the Paul's boldness at this point, his boldness in his faith brought hope to the others. Paul wanted to encourage them that God was still with them, even in the midst of the storm. Guys, many times when you and I step out in faith, when we seek to speak the truth of the word of God, those that are weak in faith, perhaps our word of encouragement will give them faith. There's a lot of times, man, we run out of faith, don't we? We have a faith crisis. We need others who are strong in the faith to come around us, to encourage us. Speaking the truth, look, God is still with you even in the midst of that. Doesn't mean that it's going to necessarily get any easier. Doesn't mean necessarily that everything's going to be absolutely beautiful and wonderful. But you need to know God is with you and we find comfort and strength in that reality. Sometimes you and I, we need to believe God for other people, other people that are in the middle of that crisis of faith. Sometimes we need to be the ones that are speaking that truth into their hearts when they're in a time of doubting. And understand, Paul didn't sell the situation. He explained to them, you know what, this ship is going to be lost, but all the souls on board would be saved. Look at verse 27. Now, when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. Now, how do you sense that you're drawing near land? I don't know. Maybe they smelled dirt, uh, you know, uh, or, or maybe they smelled forest or whatever. But they sensed in the middle of the night that they were drawing near land. Verse 28, and they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms or 120 feet deep at the ocean floor, 120 feet deep at that point in time. And then they'd gone a little further. They took the soundings again and found it to be about 15 fathoms or 90 feet deep at that point. And then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and they prayed for day to come. Middle of the night, pitch black. They think they're coming close to a shoreline. They see that the ocean floor is rising in front of them, and so they decide to drop anchors and wait for the morning. Again, whatever reason they felt the need to stop at that point, they dropped the anchors. They were now waiting for the morning. 
That's all we have time for on today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David has been teaching through the book of Acts, introducing you to the early church and how they were radically changed by an encounter with the Holy Spirit. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know how you can listen to more editions of The Open Word. Here's Pastor David. I'm so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. Would you like to listen to more of them? Well, just visit theopenword.com. You'll be directed to our Facebook page where we're adding all of my previous messages for you to listen to for free. Be sure to like and follow that page and feel free to share it with your friends. That website again is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to take a moment before we close and ask you to consider partnering with us here at The Open Word. Would you pray for us and for our listeners? We know the enemy attempts to hinder the truth of the gospel from being spread. He will stop at no cost to prevent even one heart from turning to Jesus. Thanks for partnering with us in this, and thanks for listening to The Open Word. Do you live in Casa Grande? If so, we'd love to meet you. Come join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande on Saturday at 6.30 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Directions can be found at theopenword.com. That's all for today. Thanks again for tuning in and for praying for The Open Word.